Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, where we talk about issues facing our big island community. Island Conversations, Sunday mornings on KWXX at 6.30 and on B97B93 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime at kwxx.com. Island Conversations, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha, welcome to Island Conversations on the radio on Sundays on KWXX and on B97B93, and rebroadcast the following Friday on KPUA 670 AM in Hilo, and available anytime as a podcast, wherever you get podcasts, just search for Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, or it's always posted to kwxx.com and b97hawaii.com. Today's conversation is all about jails and prisons and the decision to release prisoners because of concerns over COVID-19. Just as information, the podcast is a little longer this week because I did have to edit some things out for time. If you choose to listen to that, just wanted to let you know before we started, kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com. My guest today is County Prosecutor Mitch Roth. County Prosecutor Mitch Roth, aloha. Thanks for talking with us. Aloha, Sherry. How are you doing today? I am good. And what I wanted to talk with you about is the whole business of how COVID-19 is changing the justice system, including the possibility and the actuality of releasing prisoners from jails or prisons in the state, which some say is a way to prevent them from getting COVID-19 and having it spread in jails, and thus ultimately possibly overcrowding our hospitals because the jail and prison population is so densely packed. But before we talk about jails and prisons, Prosecutor Roth, tell us how the COVID-19 situation is affecting basic court procedures, hearings and trials and arraignments, depositions, all the things the prosecutor's office is involved with. What's different now, if anything? Well, right now, it is drastically impacting court proceedings. There are no trials, whether they're bench trials or they are jury trials, uh, until I believe that till the end of April at this point, they've all been put back. We are still going to court on certain matters, custody matters. People are in custody. We're going to court every day on those. We have preliminary hearings to determine if there's probable cause. But grand juries have been postponed until after April. Um, traffic offenses, regular traffic cases, other than people who are in custody, those have been postponed. Most motions that call for advocacy where where you're going to have witnesses or or hearings, those are all all postponed until after April 30th. But there's still a lot of work that needs to be done, and we're still working low on, on a skeleton crew. Well, Prosecutor Roth, you have told me over the years that our state has a law that you, the prosecutors, have 180 days from the time you charge somebody with a crime to the time that you must bring them to trial. So how is that being affected by all this? So, yes, there's a rule in the rules of penal procedure, and it's Rule 48 gives us 180 days uh, from time of arrest or charge to bring the case to trial. However, there are... Uh, times that are told or held in abeyance stop the clock running for things like when defense asks for a continuance. So you'll see a lot of our cases get continued, um, and that stops the clock because they're almost always continued by defense, I'd say 99.9% of the time. 
There's another section in Rule 48 that allows the court to toll the time for unusual things such as the COVID-19 pandemic. It doesn't say that exactly, but it allows the court to toll it because of these circumstances that we're going through right now. Well, I guess nothing could have been specific about COVID-19 because who would have thunk, right? Right, right. (laughs) Okay, now Chief Justice Mark Rechtenwald had asked all the chief judges in the counties, and in our case, the chief judges, Melvin Fugino, he had asked all the chief judges to figure out a way to reduce the population of jails and prisons, to reduce the possibility of a COVID-19 outbreak in the facilities. I saw a story in the Star Advertiser earlier this week in which state officials say our state prisons are overpopulated by 445 people and that the governor had asked the federal prison on Oahu to take in the current overpopulation. And in the story, it said the overpopulation is 150 on Oahu, 150 on Hawaii Island, 120 on Maui, and 25 on Kauai. And then there's the issue of jails. I know that state public defender James Tabe had asked the court, and I think this went all the way up to the Hawaii Supreme Court, to release up to 426 inmates, mostly from the state's four jails, which would include jails on our island. And then one other thing happened last week, and that was the Supreme Court appointed a special master to help address some of the questions. So before you get into all the details of what really is happening, I think we need some basic definitions. The first being, what is a jail? What is a prison? And on this island, which do we have and where? Okay. Let's start with the numbers, and the numbers at 450 were all referring to jails or our community correctional centers. On our island, we have the Hawaii Community Correctional Center. Kauai has Kauai Community Correctional Centers. Maui has Maui Community Correctional Center. Oahu has Oahu Community Correctional Center. Those are jails. People can go to jail for less than one year. So um, if you're sentenced to a prison term, you're generally going to go to a prison, which would be someplace like Halava or Sugaro. Kulani is a prison. So we have Kulani Correctional Facility, and we have HCCC. So one jail and one prison is what you're saying? One jail and one prison. On our island, um, at the beginning of March, we had approximately 408 people at HCCC. HCCC has an operational bed capacity of 226, designed for 206, but it had an operational bed capacity of 226. So we were about twice as full as um, the operational bed capacity. We had per capita the most full correctional facility or jail in the state with almost 200 of those 450 coming from our island. OCCC had a bunch. Everybody was apparently over the limit. I'm looking at the second day of March. OCCC, for example, had 1,201, and the operational capacity was 954. They had more people that were over capacity, but they weren't double capacity. Now we had 450 for operational capacity of 301. And then Kauai had 143 people in custody, and their facility was 128. As of April 8th, Kauai Community Correctional Facility had 306, so we're down over 100 from where we were. Kauai had 110, which brings them under their limit. Maui had 332, which put them about 30 over their limit. 
and Oahu had 906, which brought them under their 954 operational capacity. So we still are fuller than the operational capacity. You know, a conversation for another time after this is, why do we have so many people in jail, but not for this conversation? Because that seems to be kind of interesting. It's a really good question. And I've, I've been bringing this up probably for the last seven years, that we need to build more correctional facilities on our island. Hawaii, the state, has the least amount of money per capita going to public safety. So we spend less on public safety than any other state per capita, per person. On our island, we have probably the greatest need to grow that capacity. I don't believe that 226 facility has really changed in the last 20 years, but yet our population has grown and that need has grown. Jail is not the only answer. But if you don't have that first part, it makes doing some of the more proactive things a little bit more difficult. Don't we have a new jail in Hilo on Komohana Street? Not yet. They're looking at building that. But like I said, when all this is over, I do want to talk to you. It feels like we have a bigger percentage of, let me just say, criminals, bad people who need to be in jail. But, you know, you've mentioned that some of the jails now are down at their capacity. Does that negate the need in the minds of the justice system to get people out of jail to avoid COVID-19 issues? I mean, help us understand what the real issues are, because clearly we're overcrowded and that could be a problem. But if we were not overcrowded, would that mean we don't need to release anybody? On our island, let's just take our island, HCCC, at its operational capacity, holds 226 people. It employs 150 people, approximately, uh, over a couple of different sites. Um, If we were to have a breakout in our correctional facility, that would be a real issue on our island, even at 226. We have to do a balancing, though. You can't just say, well, there's too many people in there. If it gets in there, then we're in trouble. You have to balance safety for the community as far as people that are getting out. We've had people who have got out on motions. And by the way, we're actually objecting to most of those motions. But people have gotten out, and they've been arrested, and unfortunately, courts have also let at least one of those people out a couple of times. That creates a dangerous situation for our community as well. So we have to do a balancing test on who we're going to let out and how we're going to do it. And So when we first started looking at this, the first thing we said is, let's try to do this in the wisest way possible. And so we looked at the kinds of people that were being housed at our correctional facility. And one of the groups we saw were people who were doing intermittent terms of incarceration. Let me explain what that means, Sherry. Some people are sentenced to probation and maybe six months jail. Some people do get six months all in one shot. Some people are sent to intermittent terms of incarceration where they're going to do a week on, a week off, or do their time on the weekend. We felt that if they're safe enough to be out in the community for weeks at a time, that we start with some low-hanging fruit. We'll just suspend their sentence at this point. When the emergency is over, then they can go back and they can finish their time. And by doing that, we were able to bring down the numbers. The other thing we said, we don't want to happen what happened in New Jersey, where the Supreme Court just released a whole bunch of people in mass 
because that would be a very dangerous situation for us. And so we wanted to look and see who are the least dangerous, who are the least serious people that we could release. And so if there were, and there weren't, any people in for just like minor marijuana, I, I can't think of in the last seven years anybody who's been doing time on a minor marijuana offense in the state. You know, we went for the least serious offenders. And so basically those were people in on mostly traffic warrants that where they failed to show up in court or petty misdemeanors that didn't involve crimes of violence. For example, domestic violence is a crime of violence. We need to make sure that people going in for domestic violence stay in because they could hurt somebody, they could kill somebody. We need to make sure that people who are in on more serious cases, felony cases, for example, sex assault, um, who may be waiting trial or in for burglary or are career criminals, the guys that have been arrested for stealing a whole bunch of cars or things like that, who just are problem people. We don't want those people out either. So we have to make sure that if we're going to let people out, we would do it on a basis where we're looking at the right people, the least serious people. And so the public defenders gave us a list of about 80 people. I think maybe 20 of those people we stipulated to. They're going to have motions probably on the rest of those people. We're going to object to those motions. Some of the times judges will go our way. Some of the times they'll go the way that the public defenders are asking. And that's just the way things have gone for the last 27 years of my career is that judges will make decisions the way they're going to make decisions. A lot of those times we're objecting, and sometimes they'll be released and sometimes they won't. You know, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green made the comment at a recent press conference that sometimes prison or jail could be a far safer place than being out in the community for some of these folks. If there is no COVID-19 inside the prison and you are checking the prison guards every single day and giving them proper protective wear, why would it not be better to just leave folks there and they'd be protected? I agree with that as well. If you've got a COVID-19 outbreak in a jail where you have four people sleeping in a place where one or two people could be sleeping, where everybody's condensed together, that could put everybody at risk. It's, you know, as a prosecutor, looking at which people to agree to release from jail, probably the hardest thing that I've had to do in my career. But you, you have to make those decisions sometimes because it's a matter of life and death. On our island, we have about 40 ventilators. Before this whole COVID-19, we had a shortage of doctors by about 44%. If we were to get a breakout and have the, the jail filled with 408 plus 150 people working there, that for our island would put every one of us in risk. And, you know, you're seeing what's happening in New York and Louisiana and Chicago and uh, what happened in Spain and, and Italy when the healthcare system can't take care of the amount of people that are in there and they start getting overwhelmed, then people start dying in, in large numbers and quickly because there's not the resources to handle that. If we could keep everybody in there from getting the virus, that would be great. Public safety has some screening procedures in place. The police have some screening procedures in place. But it's not COVID testing every day, nor is it quick testing. We have these new test kits that are coming out. Uh, I had a conversation with Josh Green. My recommendation is let's get those test kits, the five-minute test kits that Abbott Labs is doing, get those over to our public safety department so we can test everybody going in and out. 
unfortunately, we haven't been given that many kits at this time. I think we get five a, a week or something. But Yeah, Bruce Anderson said we got initial shipment of 15, and the plan is so to 15. send them all around to hospitals, and they got only enough testing material to do 120 tests a week. But your point is well taken. HCCC is still well over capacity, and if we had an outbreak, we would be in serious trouble. And a brief interruption to remind you, this is Island Conversations. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Today we're talking with Hawaii County Prosecutor Mitch Roth about releasing prisoners from jails and prisons because of COVID-19. And the podcast today is a bit longer than the radio broadcast because of editing. And the podcast does include a specific example of a prisoner released on our island who then went on to reoffend. If you'd like to catch the podcast, kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com. Next week, my guest is University of Hawaii at Hilo Chancellor Bonnie Irwin. Before we get back to County Prosecutor Mitch Roth, let's hear a word from KTA Superstores, our generous sponsor. Ed. KTA Local and Fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and Fresh always tastes best at KTA. Chief Justice Mark Rechtenwall appointed retired appellate judge Daniel Foley to serve as what is called a neutral special master. I know that he was to submit his initial summary report today, Thursday, April 10th, the day we're talking. I believe you've actually spoken with Judge Foley. So what can you share with us about, first of all, what is a special master? What is his role? And any idea what he's going to recommend? A special master, basically his job is to review the situation, and make recommendations to the court. We're very thankful that the Supreme Court did not follow the recommendations of the state public defender to release people in mass. They were looking at, uh, at all petty misdemeanor, misdemeanor, and people who are in our jails on probation. Um, and we are very grateful because in that category, we have domestic violence, we have people who are doing time for burglary, for robbery, for kidnapping, for sex assault, some of the lower levels of that. And so they did not go there. What has been happening is that the prosecutors from around the state, the public defenders from around the state, have been regularly meeting with judiciary, listening in, and now the special master is in on these conversations. And we're trying to make decisions on how best to protect our community. Part of that, what we've come up with are some you know, stipulations and if we're going to release people, under what circumstances. We have uh, recommendations for the court. If they're going to recommend, even if we're objecting, what are the conditions? Some of the things that we're trying to get are things like, you're going to follow the stay-at-home order until that's lifted. You're going to call Department of Health if you start to have symptoms. Some of it is for electronic monitoring. So, if, you know, you're staying at home. You shouldn't be going anyplace. If I had my way, they wouldn't be able to even go to the store. We kind of want to be careful that we're just not letting people out who are dangerous. We want to make sure that they have a place to go because if they're homeless 
and they're going out and associating with another high-risk population, we're again putting ourselves in danger and we're putting the jail system in danger. We're looking at a whole different group of things and so far it's been working, I, I think, in talking to the special master at our meeting. I think he's going to ask us to continue on with what we're doing as a group. We don't always agree, but it's a process where people are trying to come up with some reasonable steps to move forward. What kind of cases? I think now the public defenders have taken off a lot of those cases that they're asking. However, they're still going to make motions in court, and we're still going to fight them in court for some of those people that we don't believe should be released. Well, you know, Prosecutor Roth, I read a story in a publication about a situation here that on March 25th, the Public Defender's Office filed a motion for the emergency and humanitarian release of a man named Michael Varese Jr. Because of COVID-19, he had gone into custody at the beginning of March for violating probation in a family court case. And then on March 31st, he was granted supervised release. Three days later, arrested and charged with credit card fraud. And then he was granted supervised release again. And it sounds like some of these folks aren't going to get the message that they're being given a great opportunity to prove themselves to be law-abiding citizens. How do you address right. stuff like that? You missed a couple of parts in there. When he came up for uh, supervised release the first time, we objected. When he came back, we objected. And in both of those incidences, the court felt that they should release him. It's problematic for us that that happens. Could you imagine if the court just released a whole bunch of people in mass? We would have a lot more problems. And yes, some people are going to prove themselves. And some people, we hope, if they violate the law, that the sentencing judge will be more willing to put them in prison because they can't follow through with instructions. And I know the police aren't going to have the capability to monitor, nor am I certain it's actually their responsibility to monitor anybody who's let out of jail. How is their monitoring? Who does it? Whose responsibility is it? There's a couple of different groups that are responsible for monitoring people who are in the criminal justice system. Intake services generally has supervision over people who are awaiting trial. If they are on probation, and adult probation generally has responsibility for monitoring their people. If they're coming out on parole, then it's a parole officer that's in charge of monitoring their whereabouts. The other things we're looking at for some of these people are to use electronic monitoring to help us determine that they're staying in the places they're supposed to be in. Prosecutor Roth, you mentioned parole officers, probation officers, intake services. Are all those people working? Yes. So back to the special master, other than now working with you as part of the team, is he going to do anything different or special, different from what you all are doing as you discuss all these different cases? Well, we hope that he is going to continue to see that we are making progress. And um, the hope is that he does not just take the recommendation of the public defender and tell the Supreme Court this is the way you should go because we believe that that would be very dangerous for our community. We need to make decisions based on fact, common sense, input from the victims of crimes, criminal history. There's a lot of things that we're looking into to determine what people are let out to make sure that our community is safe. People shouldn't be worried about some people who are missing court and that's why they're in jail because they've missed court several times somebody getting out for a sex assault, the community should be very worried about that. 
and we're trying to make sure that those cases don't happen. We have people who are in jail right now waiting trial for murder. You don't want to let those people out. Thank you, (laughs) as a citizen who lives here. Right. What about people who may be released who do not have a family or a home to go to? Many homeless people are not social distancing, and I personally haven't seen that in this county we are doing anything specific relative to the homeless population. Would that factor play into your decision to recommend release or not release? Yeah, so we've, across the board, if they don't have a place to stay, we've across the board said, no, that's not a smart choice. They're going to be congregating with other people that could, one, become infected and affect others in that population, but then bring it right back to the place where you're trying to prevent it in the first place, and that's our jails. Prosecutor Roth, I have three unrelated questions before we leave the topic of releasing people from jails and prisons. What else did you want to add that I may not have asked? And I think we brought it up is that people need to understand we're not letting out everybody. We're not letting out groups of people in mass. And the other thing is that just because somebody gets released doesn't mean that we agree to that. Oftentimes, it's going to be a judge making a decision over our objection. Okay. So next question that's sort of related, but not exactly. I have just today read some very disturbing accounts of people in other places in the country doing some extremely rude things, such as intentionally coughing on people, intentionally coughing on products. In all these situations, the police have arrested them for terroristic threatening. Is there anything like that happening here in our state that you've heard of? I haven't heard of that yet. Thank goodness. Um, But terroristic threatening, that's an interesting way to go. I'll have to look into that. You know, people have asked me, what if somebody coughs on people? And that's kind of tough to say, but if they're intentionally doing it, yeah, that's that's (laughs) very interesting that they arrest them for terroristic threatening. Well, in one case, this woman intentionally coughed and spat on products in a store, and the store had to really destroy the products. But I also have to wonder, what is wrong with these people, you know? In a situation like that, we may charge a criminal property damage, and that crime would generally be a petty misdemeanor, which means a crime that you can get up to 30 days in jail. However, under the emergency proclamation, that crime now becomes a Class B felony in which they can get 10 years in jail. Okay, next unrelated question. We all have family that we are concerned about, and I know you have a daughter in New York, the center of this outbreak at this point, a daughter in Las Vegas, a son in Pasadena. How are they? They are good. They have me more worried than I've ever been about them, which is saying a lot for my kids. (laughs) But right now they're all safe. They're all sheltering in. And I'm very thankful for that. My oldest daughter and my son are actually working from home. My youngest daughter is furloughed right now. Okay. Final question, County Prosecutor Mitch Roth, and this is fairly general. I know you're not the mayor, but you are among the very top managers in the county as the Hawaii County Prosecutor. You meet regularly with the mayor and the cabinet, which is the department directors. At this point, President Trump has extended the stay-at-home order to April 30th. Governor Ige has extended the stay-at-home order till April 30th. The governor has imposed a 14-day quarantine for anybody arriving anywhere in the state, including anywhere on this island. But our island is taking a slightly different approach in some of the areas. And I just wanted to ask you, at this point, are there more and different things that Hawaii County should and can be doing at this time to help the 
County address this COVID-19 crisis and keep us as COVID-19 free as possible? Yeah, I think, number one, we have to be consistent in our communication. I think we can be doing a better job communicating our positions and where we're going. I mean, it makes sense what they're doing. I like what's happening on Kauai. The idea of having a curfew from 9 o'clock to 5 o'clock in the morning. Most of your essential workers are already indoors. The police will be out there. It will make our roads a lot safer. But I think consistent communication is really really important for us right now. You know, Prosecutor Roth, I interviewed a psychologist a few weeks ago about how to manage the anxiety that we all feel about this. And that's one of the things she said that it's just like you have to give firm direction to children. Ditto for adults. They need to know, we all need to know exactly what we're expected to do. Right. It helps. And it's interesting. You mentioned Kauai County. The other thing that Mayor Derek Kawakami on Kauai has just done is he has put in an emergency order to shut down all vacation rentals because they did have people going there who were essentially flaunting the order. There are vacation rental owners who obviously don't live on our islands who are putting out ads saying, hey, come to Hawaii, enjoy the quarantine. I see that happening here a little bit, too. I just had a conversation with somebody this morning who in their condo had two different families staying in two different rental units, and they were clearly not practicing social distancing. They were pretty much into enjoying their vacation. So Kauai has taken a very firm stand. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I think we should be talking more about wearing masks and the idea for people wearing masks, not so much to prevent them from getting COVID-19, but to protect those that we love. I saw that New York is doing this for someone that you love. That's why you're staying at home. That's why you're wearing the mask. Who is it that you're doing this for? And, you know, we're talking about saving lives. And I know that people are going to be hurting, that their livelihoods are in danger. But what good is a livelihood if you don't have a life? We have a lot of people that we should be caring about here. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think we're going to come out of this better than any place else in the world just because of our geographical distance. The fact that we do have the quarantines for people coming to our islands, coming into our island, but in the meantime, we got to do all we can to make sure that we're keeping people safe and healthy here. County Prosecutor Mitra, thank you so much for your time today. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you, Sherry. Stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you so much. Aloha. And a couple of updates before we say aloha. County Prosecutor Mitra and I talked on Thursday afternoon Friday afternoon, Mayor Harry Kim did prohibit all vacation rentals. And regarding the wearing of masks, it is a recommendation by the mayor and by the governor and by the CDC. But now some local stores are taking things into their own hands. Foodland, for example, now requires you to wear a mask when you go in their store. This is Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. Thank you so much to our listeners for being with us. I'll see you next time for another Island Conversations. Until then, please, let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahoi ho. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916.